Welcome to Nanny ABC's Next Step Podcast, a series of interviews and monologues featuring the leaders of the at-home child care industry created to elevate agencies, caregivers, and the families they serve. Nanny ABC's Next Step Podcast is here to provide you with the child care industry best practices to be clear, concise, and immediately applicable. Here's the host, Danny J. Nanny, author, speaker, and creator of the Next Step System for Agencies. Hi, and welcome to Nanny ABC's Next Step. I am your host, Danny J. As always, more about this episode can be found at www.nannyabcs.com slash blog. And this podcast is powered by Nanny ABC's Helping Care Succeed. This is part two of our conversation with adventurous eating and care nectar expert, Angelina Pizzi. Angelina has been working with children and families for the past 15 years. She has been a certified math and science teacher, a high-profile nanny, and now a parent coach and child nutritionist. She created Adventurous Eating to help as many families as possible develop healthy relationships over mealtime and raise children who absolutely L-O-V-E love to eat. Here, we catch up on the important the basic, and some of the most frequently asked questions about mealtimes, food variety, and, of course, picky eaters. Stay until the end to hear your action steps on how to make this episode actionable. The health concerns that we see nowadays with, you know, diabetes and childhood cancer, like these things are happening so much because of, you know, because of the foods that we are eating and the foods that we're not eating. So I, I have a selfish goal in helping everyone eat better because I, I want families to be healthier. Well, I definitely know that urge. You're like, I know stuff. I can really help you. Nobody ever tells you these things. And you f- you're like, uh, I've unlocked a key. Like I've unlocked something here. There is, and you just want people to know it. What yeah. is the like, learning curve for a parent or some parents are just totally bl- parents and caregivers like are they just totally blown away by the things that you mention or are they like I guess I kind of knew that and I don't know how to do that better <laughs> for some of the things yes like um you know I, I work with a lot of families and caregivers about cooking right where we just we've kind of grown out of the joy of cooking and I think it's because we are so busy in the world now, like everybody's so busy that uh, thinking about cooking sounds like this arduous task that has to, has to happen every night and it takes up so much time. And, you know, it's either mom in the kitchen, usually it's mom in the kitchen. Um, dads are taking on a bigger role with feeding uh, families in general, which is awesome. But some of the things that I teach about how little, you know, of this really healthy food that children need and how to get them that. Like we think that we need to feed a specific way every day. And because of that, we can't do it because it's every day and that's impossible. And it isn't every day. We don't need to eat, um, again, not this very strict, healthy, quote unquote, healthy um, way of eating. And there are ways to cook the things that we do need in a weekly schedule of feeding that we can prepare in as little as a day. We can prepare a week's worth of nutritious food in as little as a day. 
And if you're feeding an infant, you can prepare all of that stuff that they need for up to a couple of months in a day. Wow. So when I hear people say, you know, I don't have the time, which is one of the most common things that I hear. I don't have the time. We do. I promise you, you do, because it doesn't take as much time as we think. And your kids don't need as many veggies as, you know, you might think that they do. They just need to see some of the rainbow every week. Yeah. Uh, yes. <laughs> I'm thinking of all the, I think anybody listening to this right now is thinking of all of those things, uh, all those moments where you're like, I'm just not eating enough of the vegetables. I remember thinking right. like, well, this child in front of me eating one carrot was like the biggest win of my life. Or I would, sometimes I'd take pictures of the kid eating and send it to his parents. Like, look, he actually ate this. Like, he's probably not going to admit this later. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> I didn't. Yeah, exactly. Uh, this brings me to thinking there to me there's like households that do like meal times and then there's houses that like really base their life around snacking uh, yeah. is that a, a huge detriment or is that like just in my mind <laughs> so grazing versus meal times there are two aspects of that that i can definitely help with the first is that meal times having one family meal a day and I know everyone's busy. We work different schedules. You know, not everyone's home at the same time, but having one family meal a day is more directly correlated to positive long-term outcomes for children than even having the resources to buy healthy food. So having one meal a day where we are sitting around a table, enjoying food together and talking with each other about the day mm -hmm. and not necessarily, I mean, never about like how much you ate or what foods you're eating, but maybe how the food smells, how the food tastes, like what was your day like? What was my day like? Yeah. What were your challenges? What did you, like that thing is, it is one of the most important things that we can do for kids. And on the other hand, snacking, like if you graze all day, that's awesome. But our idea of what snacking is, is skewed. So yeah. when we hear snacks, the vast majority of people think snack foods, and those aren't snacks, right? Like chips are never off the table. I don't think we should have chips every day, but we certainly don't omit them from our lives because they're out in the world. If we do that forever, kids are going to possibly go and binge on them when they have access to them. Yeah. So we want to make sure that kids see these snack foods, but a snack should really be a little meal. So a snack should have a carbohydrate source, a protein and a fat, and that's a snack, right? So an apple with peanut butter, is a great example of what makes a much more um, well-rounded snack than even just an apple because a peanut, butter, peanut butter has fat and it has protein. So having those things together is an actual snack whereas just eating an entire bag of chips or any just chips, right? You can make chips a better meal by adding some fruit, wow. right? Chips have some carbohydrates and adding some fruit with peanut butter. That by itself is a much better snack than just snacking. And if you graze all day, great. That's, that's fantastic. But just make sure that you're getting in the course of a day over those snacks, the things that we need from food, right? Mm -hmm. Like we don't, we still need to see the rainbow. If you want to do that over snacks over the course of a day, awesome. But in the course of a week, two weeks, 
let's make sure that we get all of those colors because that's where our nutrients come in. Whether they're fruits or vegetables, just getting in those colors really matter. Yeah. That's actually kind of mind-blowing for me because I was always like, oh, problem number one, everybody's snacking in this house. But as long as they're eating healthy snacks, uh, as long as it's it's not everything is coming out of a tiny little bag and looks like a goldfish that's orange, those are not part of our colors that we're talking about. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And goldfish aren't off the table, right? They're not something that we don't ever give. I would love to see people limiting those types of foods for toddlers for as long as possible, only because, you know, infants and toddlers have far more taste buds than we do. And those foods light up the brain in so many different ways than, you know, an apple with peanut butter does. Those, an apple with peanut butter is, is delicious. It's nutritious. Um, and giving something like a goldfish cracker, which is very high in salt also, but like, mm-hmm. yeah, those colors, those are not the colors that we're, you know, a, a synthetic color dye number, you know, red dye number, whatever is not the color that we're looking for with food. Yeah. When just bagging up a little bit, when you were talking about having a family meal all together and that that makes a huge difference, good food, bad food, like just that alone was makes a really big difference in a child's life. Uh, it makes me think about like when people are sick too, that like they eat, they, you know, um, people eat that food that like their mother or father gave them because they were sick and it was like the only thing that they could stand. But like, as an adult, like they're revisiting, like, even though they know that this food is, they hate, they would think in every other version of their reality that they would hate this food, but they, they still like eating it because it reminds them of things there's a little bit there with like the food that you're talking about that like, absolutely. They, they were, they're going to remember the tastes and the smells along with these family meals. It's, it's like a magic all going in their brain. And once they don't realize they're yeah. taking these inputs, but it's there. Well, if we all think anybody who's listening to this, no matter your role with children, just think for a second on the foods that you go to um, when you're feeling sad, you know, think about your comfort foods and then try to think about where they came from. Why do I like this food so much? Or think about holiday foods what are those foods that you serve to your family now or even to yourself or you, you long for around special times of the year? And that all goes back to the emotional connection with family and with food, right? With, it's, it's not the fact that turkey is delicious. Yeah, sure, it is. But for most of us, even, even with people who have um, more traumatic childhoods, you know, if you got to experience holidays or special times around food, those foods are really going to ring true to you with your comfort and happiness, which is again, another reason why when we are trying to comfort a child who might be hurt or sad, we really don't want to comfort with food because yeah, giving a kid a cookie when they're feeling sad might make them happy in the moment. But what it does is it teaches them to, to soothe themselves with food, where an, a, a much better way to soothe someone who is upset is by literally giving them a glass of cool water because it literally calms the body versus giving a cookie, which has this emotional connection of like, hey, my brain got all lit up when I was sad because I had this thing. And it's not something we think about, but it, it, it's the whole connection is there. That's mind blowing. Uh, I, yes. 
uh, it took me that whole thing for me to really understand what you're talking about, but like they had the cookie. So now they're like, that made me feel better. So the next time I'm sad, I should have a cookie cause it'll make me feel better. And that is a really big problem because of all of the, I'm thinking of, uh, that was, uh, almost so targeted. I felt so targeted right there of being like emotional oh, eating, right? Yes. About like all that emotional eating. And I'm just like, Oh, Hershey bars. My only solution right. is to get them out of the house. And there's no reason for that. Right. I'm just like, there is a reason fun. though. It <laughs> yeah. just exists somewhere back in the part of your brain that maybe you don't, you know, you don't have access to, you know, we don't have access to those early. This is why I, I work from zero to three is my wheelhouse because so much important, you know, so many foundational things happen with children from zero to three and the things that we can't remember from that time that's so much of where we build our, our foundation for today. I'm 47 and those things still exist back there. Is there, is there, uh, should we stay away from being like, what's your favorite food? Cause does that like have an impact or does that not matter? Or I, I guess I'm just, now I'm like, Oh, could I be like influencing like, Oh, we've already decided this is their favorite food. And now they're like, that's, that's just what I want. Cause we've said it out loud. Is that like a thing? <laughs> I love the, I love the, so when I, when you first asked that, I thought, you know, I love the, com- I love any conversation about food, but what you said about like, Oh, this is your favorite food. So therefore yeah. maybe you only like that. And it, it brings me back to calling children picky where if we, tell a child or ask a child, why are you so picky? We put them in a box where they can live in that box for a while and say, I don't have to take risks with food because I am quote unquote picky, right? This is the box that I live in. So I don't need to take that chance. And that could also be true for favorite foods, right? We don't want to limit a, you know, help a child to identify with just a specific thing and, you know, labeling in any way, right? We wear these labels that are given to us in childhood and nice and, you know, a good thing to ask would be, what is your favorite veggie? What's your favorite fruit? What's your favorite snack food? Like what we can help that to be a little bit broader. Yeah. You know, I, I still like the conversation around food, but you know, the danger that you're speaking to, I think comes more from like, Oh, you don't like sour food. She doesn't like sour food. You know, and we're, when we're talking above the head of a child who's in our presence, and they're still listening to us, but we're talking to another grown-up. Oh, she doesn't like that. Or she really likes this. She only likes it like this. Well, those are the things that right. sink in a bit more with like, oh, I only do this, right? And you can think back to a time when your parents said that and you were like, oh, she's talking about me. Oh, I guess I only like this. Or, oh, you're right. I really don't like this. And so I'm never going to like that. What do you say if someone is like, uh, I don't like this very much? Like, what do you, uh, like, I don't know. I guess that goes all the way back to what you said at the beginning. of just being like, you don't have to eat it, it's fine. Is that yeah. what we should be doing? <laughs> Absolutely, right? We, why don't we let people enjoy the things that they do? You know, again, this, this stressing early of the importance of exposures and, you know, it's very early nutrients are, you know, we want to make sure that we're, we're intentional, intentional about serving infants, some very specific nutrients because they need it for this rapid phase of development. But as kids get older, if they've had that experience of 
trying things and they've decided that they don't like it, maybe you will again. I never liked bell peppers as a kid. Mm-hmm. As an adult, I learned to love them. Give an example like that. Like let them know that the door is always open, that yeah. their tastes will change. If you didn't like spice when you were a, a little kid, maybe you didn't see it enough. Or yeah. maybe you just have a lot of taste buds. So, yeah, I think letting people, you know, grown-ups do. Have you tried it? Oh, right. you don't like liver? Have you ever tried it? Really? I grew up in a German, you know, my mom was German, so we had liver probably more frequently than I would have liked. But, you know, I grew up just knowing this food. Um, but there are foods that I've learned to love as a grown-up that I wasn't exposed to as a kid. So just keeping those doors open is really important. So liver is a really bad example for you because you didn't ever really mind it that much because it was just a right. <laughs> yes. and, and this goes back to the way my mom fed, which was, you know, she never cooked for us. This is something that I think um, we struggle with, with feeding children. She didn't cook specifically for us, like she, yeah. like the kids. She made a meal. And if we didn't want to eat it, we weren't forced to clean our plates. We weren't forced to take bites. But there was nothing else. Like, this is dinner. Mm-hmm. There didn't even need to be a conversation. I don't even, like, I can't remember a time where I've been like, well, I don't like this. Well, you know, we don't get our favorite thing every night. There are yeah. multiple people in the house. I can't make your favorite thing every night. But there is something here that I know you'll eat. You don't like liver, but you do like oh, rotten potatoes. You can eat mm-hmm. that, right? And there was, I, I can't even remember these conversations. It just is the way that it you know, it was that way. And what the disservice that we do to kids now, and it starts when they're little, if a big kid does this, it's because it started when they were younger. And that is, I don't want to eat this and immediately bringing out the box of cereal or making a peanut butter jelly sandwich or making chicken nuggets when everyone is having something else. That just teaches your child that they don't, like you don't expect them to learn about new food. And that's a disservice that we do with young people. Cause if the one thing they can do about anything is learn. So is there like, is it, huh? I don't know how to say this. Cause I feel like any way I say this, I'm going to seem terrible, but okay. For myself then when I was a child, if I didn't want to eat something, I would be like, this is fine for everybody. Uh, I can't do this. I'm going to have some cereal. Uh, What about that moment where like you were like, this is what dinner is. And if you don't want to eat it, totally cool. Uh, But then like 20 minutes later, your child's like, I'm hungry. What do you do? (laughs) So you say that like, this is, I see this a lot when parents are making the transition, right? Where they're changing feeding styles from, you know, short order cooking to like, this is dinner. And what you say is, I hear you tell me that your tummy is really hungry right now. I hear you say that. And I believe you because, you know, you had a piece of bread at dinner. Mm-hmm. I hear you. You know, you're going to remember that tomorrow. We're going to have breakfast. You're going to sleep tonight. You're going to wake up and you're going to be super hungry for breakfast. And that's going to be a great meal for you. But I'm, you know, we're, we're getting ready to go to bed now, right? That's the, we're not replacing food with other food because what kids will do is hold out. They will hold out for the foods. Right. Exactly right. I don't have to eat this because she'll just give me this later. I've had kids tell me this in my care, say, well, when mom comes later, she's going to give me this. 
And then it's like, okay, well, we all need to have a conversation about how we feed here because we need to be on the same page. Right. And it can't be up to the caregiver to have this child eat a wide variety of foods and everything like that. I've definitely had that situation where a family was like, I mean, like, I feel like I'm pretty good around picky eating. I've definitely learned a lot just in this moment with you, but I was definitely about like not, you know, giving them something later being like, that was kind of it. I'm sorry, buddy. Like that, that's what that was. And, and on that note, I just wanted to say like exposures that includes just like it being on their plate or being on the table. Like they don't have to taste it. And exposure is just like, it's there. That's all. Like they can be like, yeah, broccoli. Okay. I get this. And then like, that counts. Right. <laughs> well, so for very young infants, right, when we're first feeding, exposure, exposure technically counts as tried it, right? So gotcha. if we say uh, an infant needs to see a food 30 times before they learn to accept it and love it, exposure means they tried it. So if you're working with an infant right now or have an infant right now and you're like, I'm just going to keep putting it on their plate, if they never touch it, they're not really being exposed to it, but keep offering, keep doing that thing, right? Because eventually... Their body's going to need whatever's in it and they'll try it. They just need yeah. to see you eating it too. But for older kids, what's the option? What's the other option, right? If we're not offering it and eating it ourselves, the only other option is pressure. And right. that's never an option, right? That cannot be an option. So early exposure is important because, again, getting them to accept a food later, if they've never seen these foods, they may take a good long while to try it, but the key is to have something on the table that is always, there always has to be something on the table that you know that they'll eat, whether that's even just a piece of bread. You know yeah. that there's bread on the table. Another thing that can help with this is not actually plating food, but offering foods family style. Because even putting food on a plate you know, you're giving that plate to a child. And so in the back of their mind, it's, this is my plate. This is my food. I'm expected to eat these things. And that by itself can be pressure. It can feel like pressure. Oh, this green thing is on my plate and I don't like the way it looks. Yeah. That's Have it available on the too. table. Yes. Sorry. Right. I'm just thinking exactly. that's, that's pressure yeah. to me too. Being like, that's on your plate. You got to eat that now because it's on your plate. Right. You put it there. And now right. I'm like concerned about it. And the child knows that I'm concerned about it. And there it all. And now it's a thing. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And now it's a power struggle. And we never, never, never want food to be a power struggle because in feeding, right? I always say to parents and caregivers that you will never have a better opportunity to parent your child than every time that you feed them. Because our job as parents is to empower, and this is caregivers too. I use the two interchangeably, right? Because yeah. I, I remember spending 60 hours a week with the kids in my care. So we are also parenting in caregiving. Um, but we are empowering children at the table, right? When we, there are two things in life you really can't make kids do, and three really, but like eat, poop, and sleep. We can't make them do those things. And if we try to make children eat, that is such a bodily violation, right? And this starts in infancy at the nipple, but we really see it with spoon feeding where, you know, we follow a kid's face, they turn away and we follow their face and put the spoon in their mouth or we play the airplane game. These are all ways that we kind of force kids to eat and not become intuitive eaters because we're not, we're not listening to their no. 
Yeah. And that is such an important thing that we do over mealtimes. It's such an important, it's the biggest part of what I teach is the relationship over feeding. Yes, what we eat matters, but how we feed that relationship matters so much more. Yeah. With the pressure, I just had to say, because it makes me think of analogy wise of like at the playground, I would see like parents be like, it's time to go. And then the kid's like, nah, it's not. And then the parent like tries to grab the kid to be like, let's go. And then the kid like runs away. And I'm just like, whenever that has happened, I've always been like, oh, biggest mistake you could have made in this whole thing. And then I think about like how I deal with it. And I'm like, all right, well, that's cool, but I'm going to go. And of course I'm not going to ever leave them, but just me like walking away. It doesn't even matter what age this kid is. It could be like, I've done this with like a 12 year old been like, well, okay, well I'm leaving now. The 12 year old, wait, 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 don't leave me here. (laughs) Yeah. And it's, it's because I've taken away all the pressure and I've made it their choice. And I'm just like, it's not, you know, it's not me. It's you like, whatever. And I'm just going to some things in life. I'm sorry. Continue. I'm sorry. I was just going to say like that. That's such a, I'm going to remember that for me in other places with childcare is just like no pressure. It's up to you. It's fine. I'm going to, well, there are some situations though, where we have to go. Yeah. Right. Like we, there's, there are times that we have to go. And as an aside for that, the one thing I ask parents and caregivers to stop doing is asking, okay, like we're going to go to bed in five minutes. Okay. (laughs) Well, to your young child, you just gave them a choice. Yeah. It is not a choice in five minutes. We're leaving the park. Not okay. Right. Like that is not, I'm not giving you that power. You can't, there are some things children cannot have the power over, but you know, like we got to go yeah. <laughs> at some point we are just, we have to leave grandma's house. We have to go to bed. We have to, whatever that fun thing is that you either want to continue doing or don't want to do. We have to do, but I can't make you eat. Yeah. I can't like, what, what am I going to do? Force food into your mouth. I'm never going to do that to a kid ever. And if, if you are listening to this, and you feel like I'm attacking you personally because I know that this happens because we get so desperate about what we think our kids should eat. Please just take a breath and understand that we get how hard it is. We understand how job, how hard your job is, but just looking on this and maybe thinking about what that makes your child feel like when we do those forceful things, Um, there's no judgment here. We're all learning every day. We're all learning how to do this, but it's, you know, this conversation is happening because that's important. This is very important for your relationship with your child over time. I feel like you're going to get so many questions sent to you now because I feel like I hope so. the more we've talked about this, the more I feel like we're just scratching the surface here. Yeah, and definitely. This was so amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. If people want to find out more about you, where should they go? Well, we are very active currently on Facebook at Adventurous Eating. You can find our page there. I also run a private group for new parents and caregivers, really focusing on mamas and caregivers currently, but we're going to be opening that up soon um, at the Adventurous Eating Facebook group. We're also on Instagram. You can always reach out to me at Angelina at adventurouseating.com or visit us at adventurouseating.com.
Thank you again so much for joining us. I totally appreciate it. I'm going to be a better eater now. I, I'm sure I of it. <laughs> <laughs> and be kind to yourself. Eat all of the things still. Eat the cookies. Like, eat the things. Just don't always just eat cookies. I'm going to I'm gonna really keep in mind the, the color spectrum there that we need. Thank awesome. you. <laughs> Great. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, bye-bye. Thank you so much for joining us, Angelina Pizzi and myself on the Nanny ABC's Next Step podcast. Visit Angelina and learn more about what she does with AdventurousEating.com in our show summary below. The links are there. Go to Facebook.com slash AdventurousEating and visit them on their Instagram, Adventurous underscore eating. Now, here are this episode's action steps. One, step back to the stork's eye view. Get out of the weeds of the everyday and look at the bigger picture. This is the, it's hard to see the forest through the trees. This is important because the big picture helps you manage what is going on. It helps you manage your life. How? Because you're going deeper with what's going on, the reasoning behind it. You're understanding, you're comprehending, and then you're pushing new action steps to get you where you want to go. You know, getting out of the forest, right? Two, the schedule is your saver. Scheduling makes life easier for everyone. This is how you get things done, how you make time for what is important, how you keep yourself from burning out. What is the most important thing on your to-do list right now? Now, ask yourself, what item on my to-do list is actually going to be the most beneficial? You have to do the beneficial ones too. Break it down and into something accomplishable. But also don't hold yourself back. I am most successful when I just start putting things into action. Short story. When I was in high school, I took a theater class. And the beginning of that theater class was team building. And our teacher did not let us go further in the curriculum until we did all of the team building exercises. So if we didn't get it done, we didn't go further. And one of them was the human knot. So getting 30 kids out of a human knot was not easy. And it took class after class. We were really just doing the human knot for an entire 40-minute class, 30 kids. So we would come up with plans and we'd talk about it. And then this is where the wisdom bomb my teacher gave us. It was, you can't think yourself into accomplishing. You have to just do it. So with that, you have to push yourself ahead and you will be glad that you did. You can't just think life through. Thank you all again for listening. Share, subscribe, like. Join us next week on the Nanny ABC's Next Step podcast. And visit nannyabcs.com to see how we can help you and schedule a chat with me. Cheers. If you would like to work directly with Nanny ABCs or add Next Step to your agency, go to nannyabcs.com to find out more and connect.